Hello, and welcome to our first ever KBGA podcast. I'm John Hooks, and I'm the media director here at KBGA and the host of Missoula Community Weekly. Our goal for this show is to provide thoughtful and substantive coverage of stories and issues that impact our listeners in the Missoula community and across Montana. We're really excited to strike out in this new direction, and we hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and join us as we develop in future episodes. Here's our first story. On March 4th at 8 p.m., Michael Cassia walked into a small secondhand store in downtown Missoula. It's a small place and kind of dingy. Most of the floor is covered with merchandise, with used bikes and clothes racks stashed away in most of the corners, and what seems like a limitless supply of old kitchen utensils and power tools piled on every available surface. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's ripe for a backroom dealing, you know, as it were, for sure. It was after hours and the store was closed, but there were six other people there, and they were all clustered around the front desk, looking on as the store's owner, a notary public, shifted through stacks of paper in front of him. Yeah, uh, I, we, we met up there at the very end, and then I think all the Missoula basic togetherers were there at that point, so there's like six or seven people. Standing under ceiling-high shelves of stereo equipment, Michael watched the store's owner methodically notarize each of the petition affidavits he and the other canvassers in the room had spent the last few weeks compiling. All told, they'd gathered together more than 1,700 signatures of Montanans who were petitioning the state to place candidates from the Green Party on the ballot for the upcoming midterm election. That same night, nine other canvassers were also meeting with notaries in Butte and Billings, preparing to submit the rest of more than 10,000 signatures they'd gathered across Montana. The next day, March 5th, was the last possible day to turn in petition signatures in order to allow county election officials enough time to validate the signatures and certify the petition. And while this group of canvassers had been collecting names for more than two weeks at this point, they'd been intentionally waiting until the last possible moment to compile and submit all the signatures they had, hoping that the short window would force election officials to rush the verification process and certify signatures that normally wouldn't make the cut. The next day, when these canvassers finally brought their thousands of signatures into election offices in Montana's four biggest counties, they took everybody by surprise. No signatures in this petition had been turned in since the previous June, and no one was expecting much movement as the deadline approached. Not the election workers who were only given a week to sort through thousands of signatures, not the Democrats and Republicans already on the ballot, even the official state Green Party, who had largely failed in their own signature gathering efforts, had any idea this was happening. But just like that, seemingly out of nowhere, these canvassers had submitted more than twice the required number of signatures for qualification. And a week later, on March 12th, Republican Secretary of State Corey Stapleton officially placed the Green Party on the ballot. Michael Cassio and the 12 other petitioners had been successful. They'd gotten the Green Party on the ballot. But this story was only beginning. In the months to come, 
their campaign would be accused of operating in violation of campaign finance law. The signatures they gathered would be challenged in court, and just four months later, their work would be invalidated when a district court judge ordered the Green Party to be stricken from the ballot. This week on Missoula Community Weekly, we look inside this campaign to bring you a story about dark money politics infiltrating one of the last places you'd expect, the Montana Green Party. The Green Party qualified for the ballot March 12th, the last possible uh, day. The state Democratic Party alleges a Las Vegas firm paid a dozen people to gather the required voter signatures that qualified the Green Party. There's a lot of money being exchanged that, like, (laughs) is probably unaccounted for. Because I asked the exact same question, you know, like, who's doing this? You know, when I was little, I was little once, and uh, I remember I I really liked Batman, and I liked um, Spider-Man was pretty good too, but I really liked Ralph Nader. (laughs) And although he does not wear tights, he is the people's superhero, and uh, we welcome him here. The Montana Green Party is an extremely small operation in political terms. They officially formed in 2002 after Ralph Nader's presidential run, and there are only three people listed as party coordinators on their website. Practically all of their official ballot qualification efforts have been carried out by one couple from Missoula, Danielle and Thomas Breck. The Green Party is required by state law to petition for their place on the ballot because they failed to get more than 5% of the votes cast for Governor Steve Bullock in his 2016 re-election. Montana law requires parties who get less than 5% of the vote to demonstrate a modicum of support, which means that the party has to collect at least 5,000 signatures and meet a minimum threshold in 34 of Montana's state house districts in order to qualify a ballot petition. Reaching this threshold has been a big problem for them in the past. In last year's special congressional election, the Green Party spent months petitioning. They placed their petition online and called for volunteers to collect signatures on their own. But even after months of campaigning, with less than 400 signatures collected, they failed to make the primary ballot. The Brecks continued their campaign efforts throughout last year in an attempt to get on the midterm ballot. The party continued to offer their petition online and used a $2,000 contribution from the National Green Party to pay for Amazon gift cards to incentivize people to gather more signatures. But the mountain was still far too steep for such a small operation, and records indicate that the Brecks may have just given up after they stopped submitting petitions in June 2017 with only 700 signatures. By the turn of the year, this campaign was mostly forgotten about. With less than a thousand signatures and only a couple of months left before the deadline, there didn't seem to be any hope for the Green Party in this election. But then, as we know, something remarkable happened. Out of nowhere, in the last 19 days before the deadline, a group of 13 extremely motivated petitioners, seven of whom were out-of-state residents, crisscrossed Montana in a frenzy, collecting more than 10,000 signatures and meeting the threshold in 38 house districts. They traveled from as far away as Las Vegas and Wisconsin, 
They drove hundreds of miles across the state, staying in cheap hotels while being forced to endure hours exposed in the February cold as they made the Green Party's case to often disinterested Montanans. But many observers, especially in the Democratic Party, were surprised and skeptical of this massive effort. Petitioners had collected more than 500 signatures a day for almost three weeks straight. They argued that these numbers were only possible through a coordinated, professional effort by somebody more organized than the Green Party and with much better incentives than Amazon gift cards. But records kept by Montana's Commissioner of Political Practice show that no registered political committee, group, or candidate disclosed payment to a professional organization to gather signatures for the Green Party petition. And the Green Party of Montana claims to have no idea who these people were or who was paying them. Democrats were keen to avoid sharing the ballot with the Green Party, whose left-leaning platform could pull away potentially Democratic votes from incumbent Senator John Tester in what is expected to be a close Senate race with State Auditor Matt Rosendale. So, in late March, the Democratic Party filed a complaint with the Commission of Political Practice, alleging that a professional signature-gathering campaign had been conducted in violation of campaign finance law. At the same time, they filed a suit in district court, alleging that more than 100 of the signatures in this petition were invalid and shouldn't have been certified by the Secretary of State. In the months since that night at the second-hand store, the story of this simple ballot petition has been litigated and politicized used as a chess piece in a Senate race with a national audience. But before all that, there was another story, about a motley crew of experienced political operatives and normal Montanans just looking for a paycheck, who were on the ground with clipboards in gas station and supermarket parking lots, collecting the signatures that would later be so hotly contested. A story about how ordinary people came to interact with the shadowy side of politics. In this episode, we want to bring you that story, as we talk to two people who worked in this campaign and try to determine what they knew at the time about the nature of their work and how they feel about it now. In early February, Michael Cassio was looking for a job. Now, we should mention that Michael Cassio is not this person's real name, and recordings of his voice have been altered for this podcast. But he was looking for a job, and he'd been making ends meet with service jobs for a while now, but he was planning a trip soon to go down to California with his girlfriend, and he needed some extra cash to pull it off. A little while later, he found an opportunity in an unlikely place. So I uh, have a medical marijuana card, and my dispensary, uh, the people that own it, one of the guys that owns it, um, asked me if I'd be interested in doing some uh, short-term work for the Green Party. And um, I, you know, said yes. I was still looking for work at that point. Michael's a very charismatic and approachable guy, and he's learned how to talk to people really easily after years working as a waiter and a bartender. So this seemed like a fairly easy way to make a couple extra bucks that he really needed. Um, so, uh, my, uh, you know, weed man put me in touch with, uh, the guy. Michael was given the phone number of a guy who called himself Cody James. And just a few days later, he met up with Cody and a few other signature gatherers at Bagels on Broadway in Missoula to fill out some limited paperwork and get started. I, uh, so they put me in contact with him and, 
eventually, I you know picked out a day that I could like ostensibly start and uh, met him and a group of other guys down at uh, the uh, Bagels on Broadway and went over, you know, did some very fast paperwork. It wasn't, you know, it was pretty cursory at best, like a W-4 and a photo ID picture, and that's about it. Um, and then got uh, started gathering signatures, I think. Yeah. It was in this initial meeting early morning at the bagel shop where Michael started to have his first misgivings about just how above board this whole operation was. Spartan. You know, like it, it felt like... Like, there's a, a bridge group of, you know, elderly women there and two guys getting their, you know, probably fifth cup of coffee already that day. And, like, we're, you know, we're discussing, like, in the most vague terms to go gather signatures, essentially. Around this same time, Matt Maskey, a professional field organizer and canvasser who lives in North Dakota, heard from contacts in the field that the Montana Green Party had just three weeks to qualify for the ballot and a professional operation was underway to gather signatures. So there have been countless studies that have been done showing the effectiveness of radio ads, TV ads, direct mail, uh, email, you know, things like that. And what it comes right down to is the single most effective way to get something done is one-on-one -on -one human interaction. So that's where folks like myself come in. And like I said earlier, I've been doing this kind of work for a number of years. Uh, you name a good cause, I've probably talked to someone about it, named mm -hmm. part of the country, and I've probably been there. So, <laughs> and in the years that I've been doing this, I have built up enough contacts and heard that the Montana Green Party needed enough signatures to get them on the ballot. So, as he's done many times before, Matt packed up his things and headed off to another state. Matt has done this kind of work for years, and he's well known to others in the field, especially in the Midwest. So, understandably, his introduction to this campaign was different than Michael's. And right off the bat, he was given an important piece of information that Michael didn't get, the identity of his employer. So it was um, a private firm by the name of Advanced Micro-Targeting, and they specialize in this field of work. So, I mean, they run all sorts of different campaigns, but what it comes right down to is they're one of the best in that field of work. We are a political consulting firm that values creativity, discipline, and honesty. Hard work, hard data, and real-time analysis drive your message. At AMT, your race is our race. Your passion is our passion. You aren't simply hiring staff. You are hiring a team who cares about winning as much as you. Advanced Micro-Targeting is, by all accounts, a fairly large political consulting firm that's based out of Las Vegas and specializes in field canvassing. They claim to have 22 states under their reach, including Montana, but aside from a few recent state elections in Nevada and Texas where they were charged with making intentionally false claims to voters, any news or information about them is minimal and pretty hard to come by. We've tried to reach out to them for the record of this podcast, but their company email just seems to deposit into a black hole and the listed phone number just rings endlessly without an answer. Their website is also really sparse and not helpful, 
And besides a list of recent campaign victories that is overwhelmingly Republican, there's just some stock photos and lots of buzzwords about things like creativity and discipline. The only previously reported work they've done in Montana was in 2015, when the company was paid more than $400,000 to work on the campaign for Marcy's Law for Montana, which is a self-styled victim's rights bill that was passed by ballot referendum in 2016, but was struck down by the Montana Supreme Court just a year later, after judges agreed with the petition that was brought by a group of attorneys, including the ACLU of Montana and the Lewis and Clark County District Attorney, that claimed the initiative had oversimplified its proposed changes to voters and had essentially crammed multiple unrelated constitutional amendments into one yes or no vote on the ballot. Matt has done work for AMT in the past, so he knew the company and was pretty familiar with how they operate. But by his account, Michael was kept much more in the dark. The way he tells it, he didn't even know the name of his employer until he got his first paycheck. What did you learn? What did you hear about AMT as a company in the nothing? In your days, I had no idea who was signing the checks. Are you kidding me? No, no, absolutely. So I figured out um, who was. The, who, who was employing me essentially when I got my first check. Honestly, it could have gone either way. I could have been paid in cash or I could have got a check. I, would have, I wouldn't have cared either way. It was a job, you know, it was money coming in. And quite frankly, at a certain point, I don't mind the cash. But <laughs> like, you know, I, so I, I, I saw advanced micro-targeting on the upper left-hand corner of that check. And I immediately, you know, had to go on Google because I was so happy to finally learn like at least a little bit more information about where this was coming from. And I mean, I think that the void of, you know, non-info is, yeah, it's like just something that further is like ethically challenged, I guess, you know, like it's not, yeah. Michael wanted to know more about this campaign that he'd found himself working on. But when he questioned his boss, who gave the name Cody James, but whose full name is Cody James Pope, Michael didn't get the answers he was hoping for. Uh, just because like... You know, I, I would try to, like, press Cody and, like, try to get a little bit more information out of him as far yeah. as um, what uh, what it was all about and where the money was coming from. And he, he, he you know, I think he said some bullshit name and just, you know, just kind of went on with it and directed the conversation in a different direction. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that was, that, that definitely is interesting. Um, Do you remember anything, if he, if he, if he gave you any sort of real answer about who the client was or who was paying for this? Well, obviously it's for the Green Party, and when I suggested that I would like to know like who the candidate was that they were trying to run, he was like, well, I mean, they don't really have one yet. And so I knew that it wasn't a pointed, like, political, like, like any, like, it, it wasn't a pointed thing at all. Like, it had no specific direction or candidate or ideology. Pretty much from the beginning, Michael worried about the sincerity of the work that he was doing, but he kept doing it. Even as he began to question the motivation of the company employing him, he kept going, motivated chiefly by the $120 a day he was making, but also by a belief that even if the means weren't ideal, the ends were still worthwhile. Michael considers himself a Democrat, and he plans to vote for Senator Tester this fall, but he's become pretty jaded and cynical about both of the two major parties, so he's all for any third party getting on the ballot. And when he was out gathering signatures, he found that message really resonated with a lot of Montanans. 
And so this is just a way to get a third party on the ballot. You know, I would describe like an argument between two people, like, you know, typically that entrenches either side and their ideology. Like, you know, I think that maybe having a third voice in the conversation isn't a, a bad thing. And uh, and that was pretty successful. I was, you know, pretty pretty impressed with my ability to, to, to give people a sign, especially in places like Sealy Lake, Montana, <laughs> in the middle of, you know, March or whatever it was, yeah. So did you- Matt's reasons for joining were similar. While this was first and foremost a job, he's pretty adamant that he didn't just do it for money and that an open ballot is something he really believes in. Yeah, it, it was paid work, and I have run into that before as well, where people just assume that because I'm getting paid to do something doesn't mean that I care about it. You know, and I right. had the same conversation with folks before. Uh, I also happen to be a really good cook. That doesn't mean that I'm going to go volunteer at a five-star restaurant because they need help. Now, I don't care if you agree or disagree with their platform. I think everybody deserves the right to at least be on the ballot. Give everybody okay. more choices. So even though conditions weren't ideal and they weren't getting all the answers that they wanted, Matt and Michael went out and worked hard gathering signatures. They spent hours standing out in freezing parking lots all over Montana, making the case for the Green Party. While the campaign only had a few weeks to gather the signatures they'd need, for an organization like Advanced Micro-Targeting, collecting signatures is kind of their bread and butter. I mean, okay. we are all professionals. We all went out there, and quite frankly, of all the campaigns that I've worked, getting another party on the ballot is kind of a cakewalk. So, <laughs> and... Unfortunately, the National Green Party didn't let uh, the group that I was working with know until about two weeks before the deadline. So we were really pushing very, very, very hard. Now, if this had been like maybe a month-long campaign, six weeks, there'd be absolutely no question whatsoever. Led by Cody, who on a since-deleted LinkedIn page referred to himself as the state director of Advanced Micro-Targeting's campaign, and Garrett Lobach, who's a regional coordinator with AMT, they pulled out all the stops, targeting specific house districts and encouraging their field canvassers to do whatever it took to reach the personal goal of 100 signatures a day. I think that the uh, request was that you gather uh, 100 signatures a day, and the uh, theory behind that was you would probably lose 40 to 50 percent of those, you know, due to people either not being registered to vote or, you know, signing the petition wrong, whatever. And uh, so I knew that they were trying to gather at least 50 signatures from each uh, signature gatherer per day, um, you know, ballot signatures. And uh, yeah, so we did that. Michael didn't have much trouble meeting this daily goal. Often it would only take him four or five hours. But it's pretty clear that the win at all costs mentality fostered by AMT made him pretty uncomfortable. So yeah, that, uh, but yeah, I mean the whole, you know, on the like actual like practice of it too, it was um, made very apparent to me quickly that whatever he could do would work was what he wanted. I mean, you know, we're going to places that I don't think... Like, I, I really like going to Orange Street because Orange Street allows um, signature gatherers to post up outside. Um, but, you know, I would be sent to other places that, you know, you'd get kicked out within minutes. And it just felt, you know, unethical, I guess is the best way to describe it. But Sort of like... A win-at-all-costs type mentality. Yeah, exactly, yeah. No, like, you got to get these signatures, you know? Like, you got to get them. Like, it was it was very much a... Uh, yeah, I mean, like, you, you had to do it, and it was... It, it didn't feel great to me. 
for sure. And that's, you know, I, I think that that, <laughs> it, it, uh, I think it, in that, in of that itself, it, like, kind of disqualifies the ideology. Like, the, you know, when you come at it from, like, an ideological aspect, it, like, it doesn't feel great to have to be doing that at all, yeah. for sure, so, but. As yeah. time went on, Michael continued to press Cody for more information. He especially wanted to know the most significant piece of information that is still missing from this story. Who was bankrolling this campaign? Do you remember, did somebody directly tell you this was being paid for by the Green Party? Uh, I know. I, I mean, I think that uh, Cody probably said, when I asked where the money was coming from, he said a name and the intonation was like it was a George Soros type of figure, like a Democratic, you know, donor, um, or at least a liberal donor. And uh, and I, I mean, it was, you know, maybe other people were more fooled by it. It, it was, I thought it was pretty thinly veiled. Okay. Like, he was not substantive enough to, like, really, to convince anyone, really. Um, you know, obviously, my... Uh, my inspiration behind doing it was... Matt had the same question, today, but when he spoke to his coworkers about it, he got a different answer. I believe it was the National Green Party. The National Green Party? I believe so. Okay. Unfortunately, being at this level of the uh, totem pole in the whole political realm, I don't really get told much about, you know, who's paying the bills, but... Mm-hmm. Um, where did you hear that? Was that just sort of like the water cooler talk or that's um um yeah that was basically water cooler talk because i asked the exact same question you know like who's doing this you know or who's right. asking us to come out at the time of recording this podcast we still don't know who paid for this campaign on july 20th jeff mangan the commissioner of political practice dismissed the complaint against advanced micro targeting agreeing with an argument made by the company's lawyers that since the campaign wasn't organized to support or oppose a specific candidate or ballot issue, they weren't required to report their expenditures. The commissioner did, however, find the Montana Green Party to be in violation of campaign law and ordered the party to disclose the amount they paid advanced micro-targeting. But the Green Party has maintained their claim that they have no idea this campaign was happening and had no contact at all with AMT. And the National Green Party has stated to Lee Newspapers that they also had no involvement in hiring signature gatherers. Frustratingly, we may never know for certain who was behind this campaign or what their motive was. In the months since March 4th, the night at the second-hand store, Matt and Michael have moved on with their lives. Matt went back to North Dakota and seemed unaware of any of the drama that followed the petition until I contacted him for this podcast. Michael went on his trip to California and had a great time, but... As a Missoula resident, he's been following the developments in this story since the petition was submitted. He doesn't regret the work he did for this campaign, but he doesn't feel great about it either. For people like Matt, who live and work in the world of politics and field organizing, this kind of thing often just comes with the territory. It's not ideal, and you may not always like it, but you keep going, moving from campaign to campaign, trying your best to advocate for the things you believe in. But for people like Michael, regular citizens who get drawn into this world short term, it can be disillusioning 
and it can place people in a tough position where their paycheck is dependent on doing things they find unethical. It illustrates the difference between our perception of political action and the reality that that action occupies. When he and I met up, I asked him to reflect on his involvement now that a few months had passed and much more information had become available, and his response was really interesting. When you look at the results of it, I, I would make this joke during the signature gathering, like, I don't know what, like, actions I'm going to have to do this coming fall to offset the bad karma I'm getting from doing this. Like, it was very clear to me in the moment that it wasn't, uh, that it wasn't great, but, you know, that's the, uh, <laughs> the, the fate of... The fate of the common person to, to have to, to do a job, you know, yeah, like that's that that's it. So I uh, I think that there's a whole different discussion to be had after that point. Yeah. <laughs> what do you in the, in the months of, of reflection or so? What do you think about um, this campaign or your involvement? Just if, if you thought about it or reflected on it, what's your sort of self-reflective um, take on on what you're involved in? Um, self-reflection, uh, I, I, I mean, I, you know, was pretty proactive throughout the campaign itself and, like, my pursuit of, like, trying to get information about what was going on. Um, in the long run, I mean, to see, you know, the uh, disqualification of the Green Party is, I think, a good thing and that doesn't, so much of this doesn't really necessarily bear in my experience doing this. So much it has to bear on the current political climate and like the necessity for John Tester to win the Senate seat. Like that's very much why I'm happy to see it. It's not because a company came into Montana. I, I do think that, that we have huge issues with political finance and that all respect to Kennedy writing a decision on Sissy <laughs> United. But I think that Bullock's really doing a great job. Um, and I'm really speaking tangentially outside of like my involvement with the campaign right now. I think as far as the campaign itself, it's, you know, I, I probably won't ever do that type of work again. I learned a lot from it. I learned a little bit about civics and the political process. And I've learned more about the political process in the aftermath than I think I did during it. I learned um, how to talk to a wide variety of people you know, as a bartender or a server, you are to do that, but you don't exactly foist yourself out into the open public that, like, that you're really forced to talk to people in that way, you know, like, and you're forced to talk about politics. And I think that, um, I learned that there are a lot of people that will have that discussion where I didn't necessarily think that they would before. Going out to Sealy Lake or Lolo to get people to sign a petition for the Green Party, at multiple point, points, got me threatened. But at multiple points, I would talk to people that who I would have thought on site, they would threaten me, and they were very warm. Um, also, I heard a lot of great jokes about communism. Communism's like a watermelon, green on the outside, red on the inside, you know, shit like that, which... Did that come from people in Zealand and Lolo? Uh, no, that came from a man outside Orange Street Food Farm, the one place I like to be. Um, and... Uh, and it was, you know, it was, it was definitely interesting. And I, I, I think that it, honestly, what I learned from that, from this, is that it shouldn't be so hard to get a, a third party on the ballot. <laughs> that this is a ridiculous process for anyone to have to go through, for any political party. And I think that 
that argument really resonated with Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians. It really did well, for sure. Um, and that gives me a little bit of hope, I guess, in some way. To the tune of $1,200, I don't think that, like, you know, that's a, uh, that's a huge amount of money. Uh, I feel like it was fairly compensated in some ways. It was harder work than I would have ever imagined it to be. Um, but, you know, in the end of all things, I don't think that compensation should be necessarily even there in politics. The money should be in politics. <laughs> I mean, let's be clear here. That's that's kind of where I lie in the issue is that it's unfortunate that Citizens United has allowed so much cash to come into everything and, you know, corporations to make political contributions. It's horrible. Absolutely horrible. What would you say if someone said, you know, like you just said, you believe that this money should be out of politics and groups like advanced micro-targeting shouldn't be allowed to carry out political operations without disclosure yet you accepted money from this group to carry out a political operation that was not disclosed right you know so there is to the distance in, of, in that, that. an idea of hypocrisy there where right. like you stand against this but you still accepted money from this organization to do this thing well the thing is you know I uh, need money there is a laundry list of reasons behind that I you know had a great job that ended in 2016 and I was able to start volunteering for a lot of my time after that and I maintained jobs from that that weren't able to pay my wage weren't able to pay my living expenses and so you know, when, when it comes to making a buy and you have an, an opportunity to make some money, I'll take it. Um, I don't know whether it's a, a, a great um, point to make, simply because I think that so much information has come in the wake of it that would have changed the ultimate outcome. Um, at the time, I very easily justified it because while I'm not for the Green Party, I am for the multi-party system. And that's a very easy justification for me to make. But do you want to continue this elsewhere? I think that we're, we oh, might be. Um, I'm pretty much done. It's just one last thing is if you have anything else okay. you want to say on the record, this is your opportunity. Yeah, no, sure. Um, well, you know, I. I, I you know, I, I, I hope the best for Tester. I, <laughs> I hope the worst for advanced micro targeting. And I hope to find out where the uh, money came from. <laughs> That's you feel like people of Montana have a right to know who paid for this campaign and why? Yeah, I think that that's absolutely the truth. I think that the people of the United States, further in Montana, have the right to know about any political campaign finance. And I think that um, the obscuration of political campaign financing is horrible. I think that it, coming into politics in such a huge way is even worse, obviously. But like, it's yeah, it, it's public ledger is important to uphold. <laughs> it's not not something to debate, and it just as a way to get people elected who are either you know 
fake and lie, or they, yeah, <laughs> or they stand for so, so, or they're the Paul Ryan type who like want earnestly, earnestly want to stand for something good, to stand for something that they actually want to happen, and then just sell their souls regardless. And that's you know maybe an also indictment of me in some ways, but that's you know that's the, that's the case. So. That was only the first part of this story, and the months that followed were filled with legal challenges and political gamesmanship, as Democrats and Republicans fought over the Green Party's place on the ballot, and the Commissioner of Political Practices ruling comes under scrutiny. In our next episode, we'll continue this story to tell you about the ongoing fight over the fate of the Green Party. One of two people who filed this week to run as a Green Party candidate for the U.S. Senate used to work for the state Republican Party. The Montana Democratic Party and three of its supporters filed suit late today to remove the Green Party from the 2018 ballot in Montana. Let the people decide. A lot of this is uh, political, but it's starting to edge into people's fundamental rights to associate with a party that's just getting started. And, uh, you know, if we become a problem down the road for the Democrats, well, that's just too bad.